Well, I must say, it's, I'm, I'm thankful and excited to be here, having not been on the pulpit here for a couple of weeks. I've, I've, I've actually missed it, and I was like so excited. I get to preach today again. So I'm really excited and, you know, to start our new series that we're going to do for the next couple of weeks up until the, the end of June. And the title of our series is Together. And when they put up the slide, you'll see that we've spelt it perhaps a little bit in an alternative way of how you would normally see this word. Because, and, and that's not a spelling mistake. I know the spelling police is going to want to raise their hands and say, excuse me, that's on purpose, okay? That's all right. Uh, we're wanting to talk about our togetherness and our gathering and the value of that. And, you know, as a church, we believe in being the gathered and the scattered church, that we each live our lives on our front lines for the Lord Jesus but we also believe in the value of being together and of gathering and of community particularly. So over these weeks, we want to consider just what it means to be a community. What it, and today particularly, I want to talk about belonging. And my, my objective for today's talk is later down as we go with the series, we'll talk a bit more practical about things. But today, I would like to stir some desire within you. I would like to speak into some of your dreams and your, and your wants that we all share in life around this. Recently, as Natasha and I were traveling to the UK for the conference that we went to and the churches that we were with, um, you know, we flew from Johannesburg sort of mid-afternoon on a Monday, and uh, we flew to Dubai, got there midnight, and you know, spent a couple of hours in Dubai, and then flew over to London from Dubai. And uh, we arrived at 7 o'clock in the morning at Heathrow. Now, I don't know if you've ever arrived around about that time at Heathrow and any morning. But if you've done that, you know that it's not only your plane arriving at that time, but half the world is arriving at Heathrow at early mornings, and it is crazy. So Natasha and I know this by now, so normally when, it, when the plane lands and they, you know, they put the seatbelt signs off, we get up, we try and get our bags because we sit in the cheap seats in the back, and you know, we have to try and get out as fast did you catch my little hint there? Did you get it? Okay. Just, just wanted to make sure. So we, we, we try and get out, and the rule is even if we lose each other, we must get to that queue so that we can go through customs as quickly as possible. And so you get off the plane, you know, you walk off, and then you, you go for it. And you, you try and pass as many people as you can because you, you're making your way to that room they call the arrivals lounge. Sounds lovely. I don't know why they call it a lounge. It doesn't have a single chair in it. It's a room about this size almost. And as you come up to it, your heart begins to sink. Because there's two sections to this room. There's the one section where everybody with British passports, American passports, and certain other privileged people, they go through and that queue moves quickly. And then there's the queue, other passports. And for some other reason, we belong in that group along with all of China, all of India, all of Pakistan, all of Africa, all of everybody. And so you go to this space, and then the snaking starts. You know what the snaking is. I want to get there. There is the promised land, England. No, not really. I don't really believe that. But for that time and purpose, I just want to get through that gate over there, where the people sit, you know, the uh, officials, I just want to get there. The problem is to get there, I have to go this way, and then this way, and then back this way. And so that particular morning as Natasha and I got there, those snakes were about 12, 15 rows deep already. 
and I knew we're going to spend a little bit of time here. This is going to be a big chunk of our day. It's just trying to get through this mass of people. And so we joined the queue dutifully, as you have to do. Now, how many of you know, what is the first thing people do nowadays when they stand in the queue? Hey, what do they do? Get the phone out. It's free Wi-Fi. I've been on a long flight. Perhaps there's some very important messages I have to read. And then everybody, it's like this comical scene. If you look at it, here people are. And they're just on their phones. Completely almost disengaged from, I'm just trying to get through this experience with as little amount of pain as possible. And so we joined the queue and dutifully, like everybody, I took out my phone, put, you know, on, put on the free Wi-Fi and I started looking at the messages. And I looked up and I thought, this is, a, this is rather ridiculous. And so I made a decision, Natasha and I, we said, let's put our phones away and let's just be in this moment. We are here now, let's just be here. And so we did our snaking. And for about a half an hour, we've been snaking and just doing this thing. Until that moment arrives, which inevitably happens whenever you're queuing for a long time. Somebody's going to say something. What is the conversation starter when you're queuing? Some complaint. And so in front of us was this family. They, they looked like they were from Indian descent. And it was a mom and a dad and two, two little ones. Sort of like seven 10 years old in that space. Little girl, very cute, very alive, very excited about life with her little Elsa, you know, from Frozen trolley case that she had. And she was like, you know, sparkly and ready. And with her brother, that was a little bit less sparkly and enjoying the moment. And, and the mom turned to us and said, this is ridiculous. And there began the conversation. <laughs> and for the next half an hour about, we ended up having this fantastic conversation with this couple. And they've just arrived from New York, and uh, they grew up in England, met in England, families still live in England, but they've now residing in New York, working there. They've come for her dad's funeral, and you know, little girl showed us her Elsa bag, and it was like, ooh, very excited, and, and then sort of through the conversation discovered that their little boy's on the spectrum, and, you know, we understand a bit about that, and that became a moment, and we had this fantastic conversation. Like, you know, I was close to giving them my number kind of conversation at the end, like, <laughs> you know, they were going to drive up to Liverpool, and we said to them, all the best for that and for the funeral, and, you know, we just had a great moment of connection. And it's amazing how the second half an hour went so much quicker than the... It was almost like when we got there, it was like, oh, no. You know? No longer was I so obsessed with just getting through that gate. I was really enjoying that moment. And I thought about it, and I thought, that's how life is, isn't it? We're all trying to live our lives just to get somewhere. Just to go somewhere. And, and, and so often we... We, we're stuck in places and we're having to do this meandering and trying to deal with the obstacles. And, and actually, the people are the obstacles because if less people flew to Ether that morning, I wouldn't be in this queue. And we stop to be connected with people. And we're living our lives almost closed because I just want to get somewhere. Today and over this series, I, I want to invite us as a community to turn towards other people. To not just be obsessed with the destination, but to look around. As Dwayne said last week, to be a little less connected and be perhaps some more connected. Be more aware. Be in the moment where God can use us 
And so that's my invitation to you. I want to take you to a scripture which is sort of one of the core scriptures of this series. Romans 12, verse 5. It reads as follows. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Paul writes here, as he does in other scriptures and as other writers and authors of the scriptures write in different other contexts. And they talk to us about individuality and community, all in one sentence. Though we who are many, so can you see the sense of the collective, the community, the group? He talks to us about that. And then he says, we are one body. And each member belongs to all the others. So he highlights, I'm an individual, but I'm part of a group. And I think it's important to notice when the scripture does this, because that I think speaks into so much of the reality of our lives. We live our lives within these two realities that are often at tension with one another. Am I me because I'm an individual? Or am I me because I belong to a group? Now, depending on where you come from, your cultural background, perhaps, you will feel a little bit more comfortable that I am me because I belong to a group, while other groupings will say, I'm me because of who I am as an individual. And it doesn't matter where you really sit in that, but every person on this planet is consistently living life negotiating their reality between these two tensions. I'm me, I'm an individual, I'm unique, I'm different, there's nobody like me, and there's a security, there's a joy, there's a freedom that comes with that. But I'm also me because I belong. I fit in. I cannot be me, isolated, an individual on my own. I need a community, I need a people. And so wherever we go, we're negotiating between these two realities all the time. And depending on what my situation is, there's like this fault line in my life. And when the pressure's on, I crack one way or the other. And then I, I try and hold them. And I try and figure out, who am I? And I find it so encouraging that the Bible doesn't hold those two things apart, but holds them together. That in Christ, I want you to notice that beginning of that verse as Paul writes it to us. He says, in Christ. So when, when the scripture says something like that, where Paul writes, in Christ, he's saying to you, I'm now talking to you as a believer that has access to a way of life that is not commonly available to other people because you are in Christ. In Christ, there's things that you can do and experience that you cannot have without Christ. So I'm not talking to you on a purely natural human level. I'm not talking to you on a level of being a believer that is in Christ. I'm talking to you as a person that has the Holy Spirit living within you that enables you to live life differently. In Christ, we, though many, form one body. And he holds together individuality and community. And he brings them together. And he creates for us a worldview, as the scripture just, 
does, a space where this is not a tension or a balancing act, but it is both equally experienced by every person. Where the scripture tells us that in Christ you will be more you than you would ever be without Jesus. Jesus is committed to your individuality. He wants you to be an individual. He made you to be an individual. You see, because in Christ, I have relationship with the one who planned me, who dreamt me, who designed me. I have direct information. I can go to the maker. Have you ever bought like an appliance and it breaks down? Where do you go to get it fixed? The local guy on the corner that doesn't really know, or do you take it to the manufacturer? The guys who designed it, who made it, they probably have a better chance of fixing this thing. In Christ, I can go to my maker and ask him, who am I? And he is completely committed to my individuality. I mean, Jeremiah 1 verse 4, I've made you. I knitted you together in your mother's womb, Jeremiah. But Jeremiah, not only are you individual, I have called you as a prophet to represent me to your people. So as equally as committed as Jesus is to my individuality, he is committed to my community, to my belonging. As, as much as he wants me to be the complete expression of who he made me to be, he wants me to belong to somebody else. That word belong as he puts it here, has a little bit of a dark twist to it, doesn't it? Because he says, belong to others. That's a scary thought. I'm not just me because of me. I'm me because I belong to others. Belong means they have ownership of me. For Western people particularly, that's like, that's, I don't even like that word. I cannot agree with that. How is it true that somebody can have ownership of me? That's what Paul says. But he can say that because it's not, my identity is not formed by my individuality or by my groupness. It is completely both in a biblical worldview. I'm 100% me as an individual and I'm 100% me as part of a community. That's the plan. But we live in a broken world. We live in a world where I'm broken. We live in a world that is fashioned around separation. You see, because the, what happened in the Garden of Eden is the Satan came and tested and tempted Adam and Eve. And what he basically tempted with them with is to separate themselves from God. When you eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you will no longer need God. You can separate yourself from God and you can express yourself. You don't have to tell, let God tell you what's right and wrong anymore. You can self-express and you can determine what is right and wrong. You will be more you if you are separated from God because you will fashion your life and yourself according to your image. And so separation took place. And the process of sin in our world is this increasing separation. The work of the enemy is to separate is to draw us apart, apart from ourselves, apart from God, apart from others. And the temptation of sin is this temptation to say that the more you give in to the temptations of the enemy, the more you will become yourself. Listen to people talk. One of the things that people 
believe why they should sin and do the things that they really want to do is because that's who they really are. If I live according to some rule book or some structure, then I'm not free and I can't be me. And that's the lie the enemy sells us. And so we live in this tension. I want to be me. I want to self-express. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be a free person to do whatever I feel. But the reality is I, I have to live within community. I need people. I can't be myself only by myself all the time. I need to live with other people. So I'm going to make compromises. And depending on my value system in my life, I'm sliding along making compromises the whole time. I need people for a certain season of my life. So I'm prepared to sacrifice a little bit of myself and a little bit of my individuality so that I can enjoy this, the warmth, the covering, the protection, the, the support that this gives me. But okay, now I'm fine. I've had enough of this. Now I'm going to slide over and now I'm going to be an individual again. And you can be a Christian and you can still be doing this. Not recognizing that Jesus is calling you to a completely different life. Where he says, I want you to be all the time a full, complete expression of your individuality. And at the same time, I want you to live completely in community, in a sense, depending on others. How do you do that? Is that possible? Does what I'm sounding and describing to you sound like a bit of a mystery? If it does, you're right. It is a mystery. Do you know why it's a mystery? Because it comes from a mystery. Because why are you here today? Not just today in this building, but why do you exist? You were created by God for His purposes. And one of the purposes that, or one of the foundational things that God did when He created you is He said this, he said, let us make man, and that's a description for all humanity, let us make man in our own image. You are not God, but you do look like him in some ways. You represent him. You carry some of his traits. You carry some of his characteristics. And particularly when it comes to your relational need and capacity and ability, it is that way because you're reflecting God. But God is a mystery. Our God mystifies us. We cannot even completely describe our God because one of the key foundational things, and we spoke about this recently, is to know that our God is a trinity. Three persons, one in essence. We don't worship three gods, we worship one God. Isn't it so great, Luke, that the worship leaders and the lead worshipers don't have to come and when they, you know, when they pray and put this set list or worship list together for this morning. They don't have to go, okay, have we sung enough songs to the Holy Spirit? Have we sung enough songs to Jesus? Have we sung enough songs to the Father? No, they don't have to do that because we worship one God, not three. But yet we do worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I cannot explain that to you. Not because I'm dumb, which I am sometimes, but because nobody can. We don't have another one, like I said previously, that we can point to and say, that's another trinity. God's like that. If you use an analogy to describe that, that analogy inevitably will fail because it cannot be a complete analogy. So I'm going to use an analogy, but you cannot take it more than what I say. You cannot apply this analogy any further. But if you think about God, think about a triangle, for instance, in only this way. Please. 
Only this way. If I hold a triangle, what makes this a triangle? It has three sides and three points. If I take one point away, is it a triangle? No. Now I no longer have a triangle. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You cannot take one away. Then he's not God anymore. But this is one triangle. It's not three triangles. And thus ends the analogy. You cannot take it further than that. We worship one God, but three persons. It's a mystery. If you understand that, you can understand why your life will be a bit of a mystery. Because that's your blueprint. That's the pattern you were made in. You were made from community for community. And you're living your life towards community. Because God is a perfect community within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfectly loving, preferring one another. As I said a couple of weeks ago, Jesus always says, Father, I want your will to be done. The Father says, Jesus, I want your will to be done. The Holy Spirit says, Father, I want your will to be done. Jesus says, Holy Spirit, I want your will to be done. They're consistently preferring one another. That's why Jesus could pray, not my will, but your will be done. When he was preparing for the cross. He meant that. Because that's how they live. Consistently preferring one another. Loving each other. And it's out of that life that the Father said, as it's recorded for us in Scripture, let us make man in our own image. So somewhere in you is that same thing happening. That's why it's this mystery of I can be completely an individual and be completely connected into community. It is not 25% this and 75% that. It's 100% this and 100% that. That's the working of the Lord Jesus in our lives. So we must be clear about this so that when we talk about kingdom community, as we're going to do over this time, and I'm saying to you, I'm inviting you into community. Don't mistake that for inviting you into some normal kind of human relationship, just a little bit better. I'm trying to invite us and, and invite myself into something that is supernatural, that is above us, that we cannot achieve without Jesus. I can have good relationships with people without Jesus, but I cannot do this without Jesus. And that's the invitation from Scripture. He's inviting us. He's inviting us and asking us to join Him in something. Something that is quite remarkable. Listen to Jesus praying for us in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's praying for every person that will one day claim to be in Christ. And this is what he prays for us. That all of them may be one. All one. He's not praying that the church will become one singular organism wherein all the individual bits disappear and it becomes one force. There are religions that believe that. There are Eastern religions that believe that you were broken off from God in a sense and you carry a little bit of God in you and one day God will be reunited and you, will, you need to stop Striving for your own identity, your own desires. Let go of it so that you can join with the big life force, which is God. That's not what the Bible teaches. You're made as an individual, separate from God. God can be and you can be separate from one another. So I'm my own individual. 
My life exists because of God and in God, but it's separate from God. Very important to understand that. So when Jesus is saying, he's praying, he said that they all may be one. He's not saying, Letitia, I want you to stop being Letitia and just be Jesus. He's not saying, Tia, be a little less Tia and become Jesus. He's saying, no, Tia, I want you to be the Tia I've made you to be. There's only one like you. I want you to be more you than you could ever have thought possible. Neil says, I don't know if I'm ready for this. <laughs> Letitia, I want you to be the design that I've made. Nobody else can be. I don't want you to disappear. I want you to appear. I want you to show up. But you can't do it without me. But at the same time, as you become you, you step into this community. You become Part of others. Not in a way where I'm disappearing, but in a way that actually helps them appear and they help me appear. This is what Jesus is calling us to. This is what he's praying for. Father, just as I, as you are in me and I am in you, Jesus and the Father, three in one. One but three. I don't, know. I don't even know. The same way, you but community. I mean, it would be cruel for Jesus to, to pray for something and put that expectation on us, but we can't do it. He's praying this because we can have this. He's dying so that we can have this. He really believes in this. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's actually saying, your mission is to live this. The only way the world will know that there is really a God that is so mysterious, unique, and special is if you can reproduce who God is here on earth. In a broken world, with your own brokenness, your own selfishness, with other people that are broken and selfish, Jesus believes it's possible to in some way recreate and experience what the perfect Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has. He's saying, you can do it. That freaks me out. That freaks me out. Because I know you. And I know me. Is it really possible that Jesus is asking of me to give you some form of ownership of my life? And for me to take some form of ownership of your life? While I'm broken, selfish, all about my own needs, but you're the same. Is there any chance, is there any hope that we can actually represent God-likeness on this earth? To that level. I don't know. Jesus seems to think it's possible. Listen to John, writing in 1 John 4. Verse 7 to 8, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. You see, when you and I hear with the word love, we think it's talking about some positive feeling or disposition to another person. That's not what the word love means in the scriptural context. He says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. So in other words, if I want to understand the love he's expecting of me to copy, I must look to God. 
That he defines love. How does God love? The Father says, Jesus, I'm going to do everything in my power and my energy, my intelligence for your benefit. I'm laying my life down for your benefit. Jesus says, no, Father, I'm laying my life down for your benefit. I'm going to hold nothing back. I'm not going to keep anything for myself. I'm going to give it all for you. And then the Holy Spirit says, no, Jesus, I'm going to do that for you. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to do that for you. They're consistently emptying themselves towards each other. That seems a bit of a tall order, doesn't it? I mean, that's ridiculous to even think that we can do that. We can't. Except for in Christ. That's what Jesus is beginning to recreate in you and me. The capacity, the ability to do that. He's not just come to die on the cross so that you don't have to go to hell. He has come to give you life and life in abundance. And abundant life is not about your check account. It's about you being able to live the God kind of life. Your bank account helps sometimes, but it, it is like the poorest measure you can use to describe this that Jesus is talking about. He's saying, I want you to know life. The only way you can know life is to be fully yourself and be fully committed in community. And I'm drawing you into that. I'm drawing you into that. We are made from community, for community, and we're living our lives towards community. You see, because we were made in the Garden of Eden to experience this level of relational capacity with God. And when we lost it because we chose to self-express. And then Jesus came and he said, I'm going to show you how to do this as human beings. Because who is Jesus? Jesus is divinity in humanity. Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, another mystery, 100% God, 100% man, came and lived among us and loved us the way the Father loves here on earth. And he said, be like me. I will send you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will teach you to relate the same way that I relate. He's gonna reproduce you. He's gonna make you little Christs. That in, in Tia's being, Jesus is going to be reflected because he's going to show her as Tia how to love the way that he loves. And that's the invitation. That's the, the dream. How do we do this? It sounds impossible. How do we do this? Let me, let me just touch on a few points. How do we live in community? In his writings... The well-known Christian psychologist, Dr. Larry Crabb, talks about a concept that he's entitled relational holiness. It's to understand holiness within the context of relationship. Because the scripture says, one of the key scriptures, one of the foundational biblical scriptures that we all have to understand was first given to us in Leviticus 19 verse 2, where God says this to his people. He says, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy because I'm holy. Be like me in holiness. Now you, uh, I don't know. Is that possible? Perhaps we need to begin to think of holiness as a relational thing. Let me give you two pictures. Can I ask you to imagine two pictures with me? 
On the one hand, I would like you to ima imagine a picture of, you can put yourself in the picture or somebody else, a deserted beach. Nobody, nothing, nobody there except one person, you or somebody else. And that person is completely in solitude, all on their own. Perhaps enjoying the nature, enjoying the, the sea, the smell, the, the, the breeze, just enjoying that absolute moment of contentness because they're on their own, separate. On the other hand, I'd like you to imagine this picture, perhaps Christmas dinner, Christmas lunch. It's noisy. It's messy. It's family. It's laughter. It's food. It's celebration. It's like community. If I say to you, love, holiness, which picture represents which one best to you? The deserted beach, does that represent to you holiness or does that represent love? The noisy family dinner, does that represent holiness or does that represent love? Now, I don't know. Some of you go, I don't want to, I don't want to be tricked. I'm not going to do it. I would propose that it would be more natural for us to think that this picture, solitude represents holiness, and this picture represents community. Now, the reason I'm doing that is because of this. I'm asking you to imagine those two things. Because two of the main claims of who God is, not what He does, who He is, His characteristic is, God is holy, and God is love. The word holy means otherness, separateness, individuality. There's no one else like him. God is holy because he is completely other than anything else. He is separate from everything. God is a man fully content that needs nothing, needs no one. He is complete within himself. Whether I love him or not doesn't change how he feels about life or feels about himself. He does not need me. He is completely content. He's holy. But at the same time, God is love. He's a father. Now, it's very difficult to say you're a father and you don't have children. He's a father because he has children. He is all about the noise, the mess, the community. He wants community. Now, is God sometimes holy and separate because he's fed up with us? And he's just, leave me alone in my man cave. I just, just you need some, I need time out. Is that God sometimes? While other times he loves to be with his people? Is that who God is? No. God is 100% all the time this and 100% all the time this. God is at the same time completely at peace within himself and needs no one as what he is a father that says, I want you to know me. You can in some way say, I need you to know me. But that needs not based on what he needs, it's what based on what you need. That's God. He's both. He loves you. Do you know that God has never loved any person more than he's ever loved them. 
God doesn't love you more now because you're a Christian than he loved you before you were a Christian. Because it's impossible for God to love more or less. He's complete love. If you obey him, he doesn't love you more because you obeyed him. It allows you to experience more of his love, but it doesn't change because he's complete. He's a man on a beach, happy, enjoying what he has created. And then one day he says, I think it'll be a great idea to make man in our own image. God was alone, but he was not lonely. But he said, I want to express my love. And so he creates us to love us. And he fully loves us. But do you know that the reason he can fully love us is because he doesn't need us. If God needed you, he can't fully love you. Because that's how we love. We love because we need. My love for you is in some way always driven by my need for you. That's the human kind of love. The people I love in my life, I surround myself with, I draw from them. They give me something. And it's just what we do. But that's not what God does. Jesus comes down and he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus says, I'm going to give you 100% of myself. I'm going to keep nothing for myself. I'm going to die for you. You don't have to take it. Do with it what you want. But this is my love for you. He didn't do a sample poll first and determined how many people would believe in him before he dies. He died with the risk that nobody would believe in him because that's who he is. He loves unconditionally, holds nothing back. And then he says, come, I want to teach you how to do that. I want you to know how to love like that. Completely. And that freaks me out. Because I can't do that. I always love, as Bob Mumford says, our love is self-referential. We love with a hook. I love you, but because I love you, you must love me back. When I fell in love with Natasha here at the training center, and uh, I was besotted with her, but she wanted nothing to do with me. And you can ask Neil and Tia, they were around and some others. He, she made it plainly obvious, I want nothing to do with you. Some would say she was even nasty to me sometimes, but I won't say that. And I was like, I, lo- I love this girl, Why? what is wrong with her? I'm a good looking guy. I had hair at the time. I was a great catch, why doesn't she want anything to do with me? And so I tried to convince her that I love her, and so I would do things for her. But then the Lord started speaking to me and he said to me, everything you do for her, you do to catch her, to make her owe you. And he showed me this picture of how I will do something for her, but it's like a rope that I'm throwing and I'm catching the other side. And now she's caught in my little game. Can't you see how nice I've been to you? You must now respond to me. And if she doesn't, I get all upset because she's not doing what this contract is supposed to say she must do. And the Lord said to me, you have to learn to love her, not because of what you can gain. And 30 years later, I'm still learning. (laughs) I'm still trying, man. But in those days, I had nothing. I had no money, I had nothing. So in the morning for breakfast, we would often get like a fruit, like an apple. Some of you know the story. 
So sorry if you've heard this. But I, I would take my little apple that they gave me, which was my apple for the day. And I'd take that apple and I would shine it to its shiniest that I could. I would choose the best apple I could find. I would shine it and then I would leave it on her desk or somewhere. And before she could even see that, I would think, what's the next thing I'm going to do? I was training myself to say, my love for her is not going to depend on her response towards me. I need to learn how to love. This relationship may go nowhere. She may never turn to me, but at least I would have learned how to love somebody. I'm still learning. I I promise you. Be holy. Thank you. Whoever said that, I love you. Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. I'm holy. My love is pure because it has no self-referential need in it. I'm not using you. I'm loving you. It is a completely open-handed love. If you don't want to take my love, you don't have to. There are consequences to that because that's that's a, a living, functioning world. You cannot have a functioning world without consequences to actions. That is a dream world. That is non-land. doesn't exist. In a functioning universe with laws and that, that has stability to it, there has to be consequences. If you choose not, there's consequences. But guess what? I'm never going to stop trying to convince you that I love you. I love you. Love as the Lord loves. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. Don't you know that you're your, you yourselves are God's temple? We love that scripture. We individualize it. I'm God's temple. Because I'm God's temple, I'm, I'm unique. God dwells in me. We don't read the rest of the verse. And that God's spirit lives among you. I am the church and we are the church all at the same time. I can't be the church, the temple of the Holy Spirit on my own. And a community can't be the Holy Spirit without its individual. It is this beautiful, mysterious thing that Jesus does in our midst. So let me give you some pointers as I finish. Of how do we do this relational holiness? What are some of the things that we have to Just stir in our own hearts so that we can follow Jesus on this journey towards where he's leading us. Towards the Shema or the Shema, Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Leviticus that gets added to it. Leviticus 19 verse 8, if I remember correctly now. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, this is the law. Everything depends on this. Do you recognize that your ability to relate, your holiness within your relationships is your expression of your godlikeness being made in his image? There's not a destination to arrive and the people are the problem that's keeping me from getting there. They are part of my journey that will help me get there. Without them, I can't get there. Without me fully invested. So if I understand that, I can do relational living just a few thoughts I think it's important that we become aware of the power of relationship not just on a human level but on the supernatural level the power that God has invested in us to really see people's lives transformed 
because I begin to love them, not out of my own strength, but out of God's strength. I don't just settle for what I can do. I ask, Lord, come and do more. Now, that's a very uncomfortable prayer because Jesus will take you to places where you wouldn't naturally want to go. He will put you in front of people that you don't want to love, and he'll say, let me teach you to love them. You do not learn how to love like God by reading a book merely that can help, or by attending a seminar, or by being in isolation, quiet time, praying all day long. That is a very important part of it, because it's in that isolation, or the, not isolation, sorry, that solitude. Remember last week, Dwayne said, we need more solitude, less isolation. It's in my solitude with God where I realize how much I'm loved. And he begins to fill my tank. So that when I go towards somebody, I'm not asking them to fill the hole that's in me. I have been filled. My wholeness is being achieved here. And then I can express wholeness. Not, so I can live wholeness, W-H-O-L-E, not wholeness, H-O-L-E. Most of us relate because we have a hole that we're trying to fill. And so I... I draw from people. I do things for people because it fills the hole. It makes me feel good. To love like Jesus is you have to be loved by him and let him begin to fill that. Because if I've got everything I need here, then I come to this with a far more open hand. But if I don't get this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, give him everything, then I can't love myself or even my neighbor because I'm consistently using them. So be aware of the power of relating and ask Jesus, help me. Help me to relate like you relate. I can't do it in my own strength. If you try and do it in your own strength, you're going to burn yourself. You're going to burn out. You're going to freak out. You're going to get depressed. You're going to feel abused. You're going to not be able to do it. You can only do it in Jesus. Be fully yourself and fully committed to community. Be aware of the power of relating. Then be open to relating. Turn to the people in the queue around you as we are marching towards whatever the destination is and start saying, I want to be open. Not everybody's going to relate to me and I don't need everybody to relate to me, but I'm open. I want to start living my life to say, Lord, wherever I am, if this is a moment, I want to relate. I want to be open to people. Good people, nice people, and even people that are not so kind and so nice. Not because I'm looking for punishment, but because, Lord, I, I want to learn what it means to love like you love me. Learn to relate from that wholeness. Say, Lord, thank you. I've got everything I need. I can go out today and look at what other people need because everything I've been given is you. The people I'm going to meet today is not the, the stepping stone towards my fulfillment. You are my fulfillment. Now you could use some of them to express your fulfillment in my life, but my hope and my trust is in you. Can I relate like that? Is it possible? I don't know. I struggle. But I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I want to be open. In openness to relating not only do we have to deal with our selfishness, we have to deal with fear. We're so afraid. 
In modern day man, one of our greatest fears is that I'm gonna disappear. I'm not gonna be me. I'm gonna have lived my whole life and it's gonna be a life that others told me to live and I'm gonna not have mattered because I never self-expressed. You gotta sacrifice that fear. Not just sacrifice it, throw it in the water, but bring it to Jesus. You know, he's the appropriate one to sacrifice it to because he's the only one that can actually make you you. That can love you to the point where you will be the you that you were supposed to be. That will cause you to arise. That will cause you to appear. He will take you like the potter takes the clay and he will say, let me shape you. Let me show you my dream, my vision that I had. But if I'm so hard trying to shape myself, he's just going to back off and say, well, when you get frustrated, I'll step in. When you stop, I will do it. I have to let go. I must deal with my anger, my bitterness. I love the way Larry Crabb says it. He says, forgiveness is the way we water our souls that have been parched in the desert. Through forgiveness, we come to the water of life and we allow that water to nourish us and feed us so that our barrenness can actually produce beautiful fruit and blossoms again. I deal with my bitterness, my anger all the time. Father, forgive me as I forgive those. I, I, for, I, I deal with my wanting to withdraw. I deal with my neediness. I need you. Why didn't you think about me? Why didn't you consider me? Why didn't you phone me? Why didn't you text me? I deal with my neediness. And I begin to relate from a different place. So I'm open to relating. All of us have gotten hurt through relationships. It's a given fact. And we will get hurt again. Do I live by fear or do I live by faith? Do I believe in Jesus that he can do it, that he can make it possible, that I can experience in some way or form at least part of what he experiences in his relationship here on earth with broken people while I'm a broken person? I don't know. The fourth worship team, you guys join me, please. Be life-giving. Instead of trying to see what can I get from life, become a person that says, I am getting. I've got God. I'm not talking to unbelievers, I'm talking to Christians. In Christ, I'm getting everything I need. He's my provider, he's my protector, he's my peace, he's my joy. I've got everything I need. Now, I don't always tap into it, I don't always realize that, I forget that most of the time. I get so filled with anger, I get so filled with fear, because I think I haven't got what I need. But can I consistently come to him and say, thank you, Jesus. That even in the midst of this situation where I feel nothing but anger and hatred and unkindness towards me, this is not the total truth of my life. You love me. And that makes it possible that even in the most strenuous of circumstances, I can say, Lord, help me to be life-giving. Help me to be life-giving. How, how are we life-giving? By what we do and what we say. The scripture says, in, in Proverbs 18, verse 21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who live it will eat its fruit, live by it. Through our mouths, we speak life. We prophetically call God's life out of people, or we reduce them to the enemy's picture 
of who, who he tells them to be. We either confirm the lie or we revive the truth through our mouths. Jesus gave us that power. James says the, the tongue is a fire. It's a fire. If you can control your tongue, you have mastered a level of spirituality that is like, wow. We speak life. Because life has been spoken to me. Instead of calling me the sinner that I am, he calls me my beloved son. Can I speak life? Can I give life by the way I treat people? The way, and I'm not saying I become some doormat. Sometimes treating people in, in, in life is speaking the loving thing in truth and calling the sin for what it is and saying that is not right. I cannot allow for that to continue. I love my family because sometimes I say no. And I say it forcefully. But am I saying no because it suits me or am I saying no because it's the right and truthful thing that they need? I want to live, speak life, live life, give life. On your front line, you are an instrument of life. Or you can be an instrument of death. It's really weird if you have a person in Christ that becomes an instrument of death. It just doesn't correlate. And then the last thing is belong. Belong. Begin to belong. Belong to Jesus. Say, I'm yours, Jesus. You have all authority over my life. You have right to me. I trust you. When you do that, you can begin to belong to others also. Because I know you're going to disappoint me, but I'm not so afraid of that because it doesn't change who I am. It's okay. Sometimes it really hurts. But I can get through it. Because Jesus loves me. I forget that so often. But I'm thankful for others that remind me. Belong. And if you belong, you can be known. John 13 verse 35. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. This will set you apart from the rest of the world. This will cause them to marvel. This will cause them to look for the mystery. This will blow their minds is that you will actually get this right. You will love one another. They will know you've been with me. They will know that you belong to the man that hung on a cross, not for his own benefit, but for the joy set before him, which was your benefit. They will know. I know what I'm, what I'm talking about, I know nothing about without Jesus. I can't do this. I fail so horribly every day. I just don't, I struggle with relational holiness because I'm so self-aware, so selfish, so needy. So all I can do today is say, are you prepared to join with me and continue this journey? You've been doing it for a while already. It's not new. Jesus has been doing this in our lives. But can we say, Lord Jesus, take us further. Take us beyond. Won't you stand with me? In the next couple of weeks, we'll talk more practically. But to, as I said to you earlier today, I want to speak to some of your desires. I want to call forth almost prophetically some of 
that which I believe is God's heart for us. And perhaps I've overstated some things or understated other things and missed the mark in some places, but I, I trust that I was able to just speak to your heart today. So can we for a moment just, just, just come and say, here I am, Lord. I'm afraid. I'm concerned. I've been hurt. I don't know if I'm going to open myself up again. I know I need people, but not too much, not too close. Perhaps I'm so lonely, I desperately need people. I don't want somebody to tell me that I can find everything in Jesus. I want people. Lord, I come as I am and I just say, here I am. Come, Jesus. Lord, we come and we lay down our need for community before you. Our need for belonging. We lay it down. We, we will not idolize that. We lay it down. We lay down our need for self-expression, for individuality, for uniqueness. We lay it down. We will not idolize that. And we will say, come, Jesus. Teach us your way. Thank you that you do it so gently, so carefully. But I just turn to you and I say, here I am. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. It may be that while I've been sharing this morning, there's, a, there's an ache in your heart. It may even be an anger at some of the things I'm saying because maybe a frustration. It may be that you feel a joy, that you feel some, wow, something's possible. If you feel a stirring of the Holy Spirit in your heart this morning, as I close the service now, I'm going to say, please come to the front and let us pray with you. You can go home and pray on your own. I know that. and That's very powerful. But you can be fully you and fully in community all at the same time. You don't have to choose either or. Holy Spirit, we give you this community. Have your way. Teach us. What feels like it's impossible for us to learn. Teach us, Lord. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you. May you feel the warmth of His complete love that is unchanging, never-ending. And may it draw you into a place of abundance with Him. In Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy Mother's Day. Enjoy however you celebrate that.